This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning we're going to talk about Adam and the image of God. Uh, as with all great stories from the scriptures, we're going to start at the beginning. You know, you, you look at any story, it's best to start at the beginning to lay the foundations to understand how the beginning impacts the rest of the overall story. And when you look at the Bible, it really is a one complete story. It's, it's, it's just a telling of one uh, event, one story that's being told. Um, and again, as with all great stories, we'll start here at the start, when God created all things. And what we'll take a look at this morning is His work, uh, the creation that He made, the responsibility of man, Man's catastrophic failure and God's response to this failure. And really these events set the stage for the rest of the story of the Bible. And it's a filter for us to, to know and to see and to view the scriptures through. And really, <clears throat> I'll say for, for myself personally, the more I've studied this topic, the more I've uh, looked into this, the more I realize how much it's helped me learn about myself, how much of a difference it's made. It really has changed my life and the way that I look at uh, my responsibility as a Christian, and it's made a really big impact, and it's helped a lot. Uh, so when we view things in this light of, of being the image of God, as we're going to talk about this morning, it really makes a big difference. And, and not only how you see the scriptures, but how you see yourself in place and in that story. Because we have a part in the story, and that's really the, the idea of understanding these things, is, is knowing how how we're supposed to act and live in the world in relation to the ideas that the Bible gives us. And when we have harmony in those things, it really makes a difference in, in how we conduct ourselves, in, in how we pursue holiness, and how we see God. So we'll start with God, the Creator. In Genesis 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning was God. And He is an eternal being. That's his nature. He is an eternal being. He existed. It's hard for us to fathom because we didn't always exist. We, we came into being. We had a starting point. God had no starting point, and he has no end point. He simply is. He is reality. He is existence, and, and that's his nature, an eternal being. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, the psalmist writes, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Everlasting to everlasting. That's the nature of God. He is eternal. And not only is He eternal, He is a holy being. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, the Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. So, so this is the nature of God. Now we could go into more depth, but uh, for time's sake, we can't explore every aspect of, of His nature. But these two characteristics are key to understanding who God is and what God is. He is an eternal being that is pure, that is holy. That's His nature and His character. Now, when it comes to the creation, it says in the beginning was God. He created the heavens and the earth. This shows us, just from, from that very simple phrase there in Genesis 1 verse 1, that God is the source of all life and of all living things. In Acts chapter 17, Paul said this when he was there uh, preaching to the idol worshipers and telling them about this unknown God, that they, that they had this idol temple and they had all these gods uh, that they were worshiping and they had an, an altar to the unknown God, 
to cover their bases just in case we missed one. And Paul comes in and tells them about this unknown God. And notice what he says about the nature of this creator and, and really the fact that he is the creator. In Acts 17, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So God, the creator, the holy and eternal being, is the source of all life. Everything that is living, everything that is life comes from him. And he gives this life through his word. His word is powerful. His word is mighty. And that's how he brought forth the worlds. In Psalm chapter 33, 6 through 9, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. So we see that play out in Genesis 1, where it says, God spoke, let there be light. And then continually, God said, God said, God said. So His Word has the capacity to create life and bring forth life. Uh, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters out of the sea together as in heap. He lays up in the depth storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Now this is amazing and beautiful and wonderful when we think about the Word of God has uh, brought forth life. And there's a reason for that. <clears throat> because the Word is God. That's revealed to us in, Gen or in, uh, in, in the story of the New Testament as John writes about Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he writes, In the beginning, which we're looking at, the beginning of all things, the creation. In the beginning was the Word. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, the Word. We read that in Psalms. And we see that in the story of Genesis. God said and it happened. It was created. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. How amazing and how wonderful is it to know. Because life is in the Word he gives life to the creation. And, and really, <clears throat> when you think about it, the very fact that he's creating and, and giving life, it's simply an extension of his own self. He gives life because he himself is life. And, and we know that this word uh, is Christ. In John 1.14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the, his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth, which we know is Christ. So incredibly, Christ is there since the beginning. He is the Word of God and brings forth life and is the Creator and gives life because He is life. Uh, and it says, In Him was life, and life was the light of men. This was the source of all things. Now, He is also the lawgiver. God said, By His commandments, things stood fast, it says. And something important to note about when God issues law, when God issues commandments, the holy and eternal being that is God always acts in truth, always conducts himself in honor, always conducts himself in righteousness. That's what the, psalm, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 33. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. So when God acts, when God takes action, when God does something, 
He is doing so in a place of, from a place of truth, in a place of righteousness. He loves righteousness. He loves judgment. And that's important for us to understand about God as the lawgiver because in our time, in our age, there's a lot of people who would defile the name of God, who would defame the name of God, and act as if God were some vicious tyrant seeking to, to dominate humanity and limit us and destroy us and hurt us in some way. That he's just some wicked, vengeful being that's just looking to destroy people and cast out judgment or, or pass out judgment to people and cast souls away. That's not true. God is a being that acts in righteousness and in truth. And yes, there are some difficult things. When we look at the story of the Old, of the Old Testament, and, and even in the New, there are some things that happen that seem to us very harsh and, and just very heavy. But we know that if God is doing this, it is done in truth. We know that He's doing these things in righteousness because He loves righteousness and judgment. So here at the beginning, God begins to issue uh, commandments. He, he commands and He speaks forth and He sets the boundaries of the earth and He issues all of the, the borders of, of the world and the universe and creates all these laws and creates all these, these ways that nature is going to work because it all comes from Him and it's all His creation. And it's really, when you look at the law that He gives, the commandments that He issues, the boundaries that He sets, it's a reflection of Himself. It's just like what we talked about with life. He gives life because it's a reflection of Himself. He is life. He gives laws, that, and, and His laws are perfect and right, because it's a reflection of Himself. Notice this description in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Notice this description. His commandments are perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous. Why? Because God is all of those things. His commandments res reflect His very nature. And, and perhaps that's a, an important reason for us to know why we should take His Word seriously and hold it in a very special regard because His Word, His law, His commandment is, is God, is a reflection of Himself. Um, and His law is life. Notice how He writes here, uh, moreover, by them, by his words, his judgments, his righteousness, the fear of the Lord, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And in the keeping of them, that reward is life. That's what God wants us to do. That's why he gives us commandments. That's why he gives us the law and, and uh, instructions to follow, because he wants us to be preserved in life, because he is life. This is what Moses pleaded with the people of Israel, and what he said in Deuteronomy 15, or chapter 30, verse 15. He said, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Moses is telling him, I've issued these commandments to you from the mouth of God, and what I've done before, to you is setting before you the options. You can choose life and good, or you can choose death and evil. In that I commanded thee this day to love the Lord thy God, and to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But 
if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou goest over to Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live forever, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days. I hope we can see the great connection that's being made here by Moses as he talks about following the commandments, following the instruction. God gives us the, the option and the choice when he issues laws and commandments. We can either choose to follow his will and have life, or we can walk away and have death and destruction. Those are the only two choices. The commandments that God gives, again, are a reflection of himself because he is life. And he wants us to do what is good. He wants us to obey his commandments so that we might have life. So God is the eternal and holy being who is the life giver, who is the lawgiver. That's a quick summary of who God is. As we look at Genesis 1, it says, you know, in the six days we read about creation. And everything was created in those six days. The day and the night, the sky, the dry land, the plant life, the stars the sun, the moon, seasons and time. God created those things. The sea animals, the birds, the land animals, uh, for some reason created bugs. <laughs> Not all of them are too bad, but some, some of them are kind of pesky. He created all those things in those six days. And if you've noticed the consistent pattern here that, of, about creation and about God and what He does, the creation itself is made to be a reflection of Him. It's made to be a reflection of His glory. Because as He looks upon the earth, what we see in Genesis 1.25, after He's created all these things, He steps back and sees it, and, and God saw that it was good. And the only reason it was good is because God is good. Because it's a reflection of Himself. Now, He doesn't stop there. Uh, with the things that he's created. It's not just the all nature and all of the universe and all the physical things and all of the life that was on the earth uh, as far as animals and cattle and all these things go. But he created a very special being that stood out among creation. And this very special being was mankind. He created us uh, very specifically, very specially. And now let's look at man's nature. Now, we're not eternal beings. We haven't always existed, but we had a starting point. And that starting point is when God formed man out of the ground. In Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, everything else is a living soul. I mean, the, the, it says in Genesis 1 uh, that all of the creatures that live have this life source in them. But although all things have life that comes from God, what we see here described as man became a living soul. And really we were given the greatest blessing of life and we were made special above all other living things. And how is that? Because it's not said of the animals that they were made in God's image. But it is said of mankind. For in Genesis 1.26 we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. You see, all these other things were created 
of course, out of his own mind, out of his own creative power, out of his own uh, imagination to create these animals, all types of creatures and animals that are living and being in this world. But when it comes to mankind, he says, let's make this being like us. Let's make this being in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So, mankind is special. Mankind is different. Because God intentionally, God on purpose, made humans to be like him. Made in his image. Let that sink in. He made humans, I believe, in his likeness, and, and as we see the beginning of all things that were in life, before there was any death, I believe God made humans to have immortality. We weren't supposed to die. He made us to have intellect. He made us to have holiness and righteousness. That's being made in his likeness, carrying his holiness, being a reflection of his holiness. And again, humanity, people, were made to be a reflection of the living God. And because of that, when we think about human life, even today, there's great value and worth to every human life because of the virtue, or just simply by virtue of being made to be like God Himself. And so we should take that important, as something very important and something very serious when we think about humanity. Something else to point out. Uh, it says, God created him in his own image, male and female created he them. There's something beautiful and special about this relationship that God created between a man and a woman that reflects who God is. The reason and the, and the fact that he made Adam and Eve to be his image, both together, not man and Adam alone, but with Eve, shows us that God is a God of relationships. Relationships are part of who God is and a part of bearing the image of God. And that's something very special. And so humans were created to represent God, not only in these ways, in, in our nature, in our holiness, in the way we were created, in what we were created to do, uh, but in our, in our purpose. Because now we see the purpose that God gives to mankind here in, in verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gives them a purpose to be made and, and gives them a function to perform. And that function is to be fruitful and multiply, reproduce, have children and fill the earth. You're going to re replenish the earth, uh, as, as it says, and, and, uh, or to fill the earth, rather. So there's something special that God made us to do in the act of multiplying, in the act of bringing forth new life. And, and to me, I see a very clear connection and clear picture. When, when humans are given the ability to bring life, it's like God bringing forth new life, creating new life into the world. Um, and God is one that brings forth life to share this great blessing with others. He doesn't want to be alone. 
uh, he even looks at man and says it's not good for, for him to be alone, so he creates Eve, and together they bear the image of God. And God is one who surrounds himself with other beings that he creates to enjoy a relationship with. You know, in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, I believe, it says, uh, speaking of us coming to the church, it says we've come to an innumerable company of angels. And these are all beings that God has created to enjoy a relationship with. In Psalm 68, verse 17, it says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. The, psalm, the psalmist is using this language to describe to us, and it's an exaggeration for us to understand that there's really no number, but it's really just thousands and thousands and thousands, millions of angels that God has surrounded Himself with, and He is the one that's created all these beings. He's create, he creates life and other beings and offspring to share the blessing of life together. And when we do that, as image bearers of God, uh, we are bearing His image by creating new life and enjoying the company of new life and enjoying this great blessing together. So it's very beautiful and special. Uh, he also gives them a charge to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Bring it under their control bring order to all of these things and have dominion and oversee all these things and rule over it. Psalm 8:48. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor and madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. So the responsibility here that we see that God gives uh, Adam and Eve, excuse me, as his image bearers, as holy beings representing God in the world, is to rule and to have dominion, carrying out God's will, preserving holiness, preserving righteousness uh, in this world and throughout the world. And so while man is not at the very top of the hierarchy, they cannot be God. They are at the very highest point that we could be and, and the highest position on the earth. That is to have dominion over all things and to oversee all of these things. Now, that's their purpose, and they were also given commandments and law. Uh, although mankind was made in the image of God and made to represent God in the world, humanity cannot be God, and we need guidance. And so man needed wisdom to follow in order to maintain this harmony that God has created, in order to maintain this order that God has created. Um, and remember, when God gives laws, He gives commandments that will help humanity remain in life. That's important to remember. And, and apart from that blessing that they were charged with of having dominion and multiplying, God issued commandments and laws that were pure, that were right, that were meant to help them live. Genesis chapter 2, we see this commandment issued. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat and that includes the tree of life. They had totally unrestricted access to the tree of life. And they lived forever. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There was a, a specific tree here that God says, don't, uh, don't eat it. For the day that you eat of it, you will die. And he issues this commandment. Again, the choice between life and death is now theirs. So what we see of mankind up to this point, man is created in the image of God. 
created with value, with, with great worth, being image bearers of God. They were blessed to be fruitful and to multiply. They were given a place of prominence in the earth, the highest place overseeing all of God's creation. Uh, what we know from, from this, the accounts of creation as well is that man walked with God in the cool of the day. They were in his presence continually. They had free access to the tree of life. And they even got direct wisdom from God to know what is good and what is evil. Man was given the freedom to choose life over death. And man, at this point, is in harmony with God's will. And everything is beautiful. There was a, a, I can imagine there was a beauty and a wonder in the world that we can't even begin to understand. Peace, righteousness, purity, holiness, life. That's what reigned in this world. It was paradise. And this is God's original design. This is what he wants. This is the ideal picture of a holy God having a harmonious relationship with a holy man. And it was perfect. But then everything changed. Satan, the great deceiver, comes along. And he tricks humanity with lies. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the garden, or but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. The way Satan comes along and asks these questions and in his subtlety and his deceit. He's doing, something, uh, he's doing something very significant in the way he's asking these questions, in the statements that he's making, and it's on purpose. He is a great deceiver, and he's a liar. As Jesus said in John 8, 44, he is a liar from the very beginning. He's only seeking his own intention and his own purpose. He was not helping Eve and was not trying to help her in any way. He was trying to, to destroy her and trying to ruin God's creation and corrupt them. And Satan did three things here in this, in this lies and these questions and this statement that he makes with Eve in this conversation that he has with her. The first thing he does is redefine God himself. Remember, God is pure, He is true, He is righteous in His conduct. And Satan's lie implies that God is not trying to protect you from death. No, He's not trying to protect you. In fact, He's holding you back from gaining power. God is keeping you from achieving even more than you could be. 
And he knows it. He knows. It's a complete misrepresentation of God and who he is and what he knows and the reasons that he's acting and giving these commandments. Satan lies about God's intent for withholding the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, you're not going to die, but when you do this, you're going to gain power, and God is keeping you from that. He doesn't want you to gain power. And so he changes the image of God. He then redefines God's commandment. She said, no, we can't eat of that tree or we will die. And he says, no, you won't. When you eat of this fruit, you'll be just fine. You're not going to die. And recall, because the commandment of of God is a reflection of Himself, holy, pure, and right, by altering this commandment, by altering the truth and the consequence of this commandment, Satan continues to further alter the true representation of God. turns the truth of God into a lie. And the deceiver promises that instead of gaining death, what they'll gain is wisdom. And you're going to gain power. And she already had knowledge and wisdom directly from God. And then the third thing he does here is redefine man's place in the hierarchy and the order that God created. Remember, God is the pinnacle of all things. And he creates humanity in a very special place among the earth. But what Satan comes along and lies to them and tells them, and he sells this lie to them, you will be like God. You can elevate yourself. You can gain power and a wisdom, and you will become a person that has knowledge of what's good and what is evil, like God. And so he promises something to Eve that was not attainable. He makes her think that a created being can achieve the status of the Creator, and you cannot. And that's the here's the fallacy of sin. As Satan is misrepresenting God and changing His image and changing His glory and changing His commandments and coming in and changing mankind's place in this hierarchy, He lies to her and says, you will be like God. But they already were. God created them to be like Him and be in His image and be in His glory. Mankind was, it was in, in that prior to this event was in the highest and most pure form of righteousness or like, and holiness and likeness to God that they could be. But Satan says, no, you can become more. And that's the problem. Mankind cannot become more than what God has made us to be. We can be like God in all the ways He's authorized us to be, but we can never be God Himself. And He sells this lie to them. And what was their response to this lie? Satan comes along and says, here's all the things that you could have if you just do this thing. And when the woman saw, there's another contrast here that's interesting in Genesis. When God creates all these things, He sees that it is good because He defines what is good and He Himself is good. But now this woman is twisted in her mind. Eve is twisted in her mind. So now she looks on the thing that God said was evil and was dangerous and would cause them death. She looks at that and says, that is good totally now twisted in her mind. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both 
were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What was the outcome? Satan said, you'll know good and evil if you eat this fruit. But you know what? They did not know good and evil the way God knows good and evil. The only thing they received was the knowledge of committing evil. And then they began to understand because of the guilt and the shame that comes from committing sin. That's the knowledge they gained. They knew we were good. We were pure. We were holy. We were right. And now we failed. And so now they know the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever done something wrong and you, you instantly knew? You instantly knew that you shouldn't have. And you're just gripped with this sense of guilt and shame. Adam and Eve were so ashamed. And they were so scared, they start trying to cover themselves up. They realize now, because their conscience has been affected in this way, their eyes were opened and they see that they're naked. And all they can do is hide in shame. And they try to cover up themselves by sewing fig leaves together and making aprons and covering themselves up. And we do that when we fall into sin. We know it's wrong, and then we try to just cover it up. We try to hide ourselves with feelings or bury it deep down inside, or we try to do all these other actions to cover it up. They were not elevated in any way to a greater power. Satan said, you will be like God. But instead, they gave up their dominion. They gave up their glory. They gave up their holiness and were brought into the bondage of sin and death. They were brought down low to the dust of death. And, and thus, they lost their essence of the likeness of God, their holiness, and they surely died that day. Adam had a great responsibility to properly reflect God in holiness and in righteousness, and he failed. And by failing, he disrupted the harmony between a holy God and holy man, and he introduced corruption. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Their sin had far-reaching consequences, and from that point forward, all people had an opportunity to commit sin and to be led into that captivity and that bondage of death. This was not what God created us to be. This is not what God wants from us. It's a plague upon humanity that God did not create. People often complain and object and say, why would a good God let people die? And He didn't. He didn't create this for us. It was sin. It was, it was evil that corrupts in the world that causes people to die. Now this conflict that we see between man and God is still happening today. That's why we struggle with so many sins in this world. That's why people are are caught in, in, in all manner of, of, uh, of lusts and addictions and in love of money and in hatred and in variance and in emulations and in all the things that we read about listed there and as the works of the flesh. This is why we struggle with these things because Satan came and lied and twisted our minds and it's still happening and, it's, and it happens and the struggle is real. 
We are fighting to change God's image and make Him more like us. We want to, instead of being made like the image and the glory of God, we want to take the image of the, we want to take the Creator and reshape Him into our own image. We want Him to be more like us. We want Him to act like us and think like us. And we make God, in our minds, act and think like we do. Well, this is what God likes. Well, this is what God wants. Well, this is what God wants for everybody else and what, what God is okay with and what God is not okay with. We're corrupt human beings. And we try to take the holy, sovereign, eternal God and make Him think like us, like a corrupt human being. It's not good and it's not possible. That's why there are, that's why there are so many people that stray away from, from God and, and go into all sorts of things that are ungodly. That's why. That and, and the fact that just like Satan tricked Eve into thinking, we try to change His commandments. We try to remove the limitations that God has given us. We remove the boundaries and we decide for ourselves what is good. We're the ones in charge. We get to say what is good and what is right. And, and you know what? There's no consequences for our actions. That's what people want. When you think of these two things, changing God's image and changing His commandments, which is, again, a form of changing His image, that's why there's so much de deception. That's why there's so much corruption. That's why there's so much division amongst the religious world. That's why we're not all on the same page and we're not all worshiping uh, together with other people who claim to be following Christ because they've been sold a lie and are following this deception. And some people are very bold about that. And they'll totally change what the Bible teaches for us to follow in favor of their own views, in favor of their own desires, in favor of their own proclivities. And they call it God. And they mask it as this is righteous and holy and godly. That's because of this conflict that we see happen to Adam and Eve. And we struggle with this, the third thing of changing our place in this order. We want to be sovereign over our own lives. We want to decide what to do. No one is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell me what to do. And that attitude is poisonous in our relationship with God because we reject our true nature, which is holiness, and, and, and our true purpose, righteousness. We reject those things to take on evil and to corrupt ourselves even further. And we somehow, twistedly, we think that it's going to help us become greater than we're able to be. We're going to become stronger. We're going to become more powerful. We're going to become more wealthy. We're going to become more desirable to others if we follow after these sins. And we take charge of our own selves and elevate ourselves to the status of God. I control my own destiny. These are all attitudes that come from this lie of Satan and his deception to Adam and Eve. And that's what man's response was and what man's response still is today because we are lost in this corruption uh, and, and fall into this continually. What was God's response? We saw Satan's lie. We saw man's response. Finally, what was God's response to all of this mess, this chaos that happened? Of course, he was very displeased. He's very brokenhearted. That holy man now is corrupt and, and has gone away from his will. But what he does is something very important. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he addresses the serpent, the, the root cause of this sin and this problem for humanity. And he deals with that first. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Human life... Adam and Eve caused the error, 
they gave into sin. And in this promise is a picture of a human life that would come and fix the error. The seed of the woman, and this is talking about a specific person, a, a child of, of, from humanity, would come and crush the head of the serpent. The serpent would get in a, a damaging blow, a bruise to his heel, but the serpent is going to receive a crush, a crushing blow to the head. This is the first prophecy of Jesus coming into the world, the Word of God becoming flesh and dealing with the problem of sin. And everything that follows from here on out in Genesis 3 on through the rest of the story of the Scriptures, it's a story uh, of it, that shows us how God brought this promise to fulfillment for humanity, to free us from slavery, from the slavery of sin and from the slavery of death. It's a story of how God brought Jesus into the world to deal with this serpent and to crush his head and to be victorious over him. Now, sin can't go unpunished, so he punishes Eve and Adam and issues consequences to them, pain and childbirth and man to, to have dominion over his wife and, and Adam to labor and to toil and suffering. Now they're going to live a life of suffering until they die. And this harmony is now broken. And because that harmony between a holy God and holy man was broken, God had to drive them out from His presence. They, don't, they lose the privilege of being in God's presence now because of their sin. Sin separates us. And what He does is cast them into exile. Genesis chapter 3.22 And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of, of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. They lost access to God in the way that they had experienced before. Walking with him in the cool of the day, now they're separated from Him. And He drives them from this paradise. They had access to the tree of life and could eat of every tree of the garden and live forever. And now they cannot. Which is actually a good thing, as we see that God says. They're corrupt, and if they eat of the tree of life, they're going to live in this state forever. So He drives them from the garden, as if really for their own good. But they're exiled from the garden from this paradise, and separated now because of their sin. And as, as we see in the continuing story of the Bible, which Lord willing will study some more things as, as time goes on, uh, God's goal is to remove the curse of death from humanity and to reconcile all those that are living in exile and bring back all those who are separated from Him. Through Christ, of course. So when we think about this responsibility that we have to be image bearers of God, I think we have to ask ourselves, the application for us as we think about ourselves, do you have sin in your life that has broken the harmony between yourself and God? The good news is that God doesn't want that. 
That's the good news. That's why He sent Jesus into the world. But when we live in sin and are separated, we're living in exile from Him and separated. And we can feel it. We know. Our lives don't feel quite right when we know we're separated from God. But He doesn't want that. He wants us to be reconciled to Him. And I pray that as we think about this story, that it resonates deeply with us in our soul. To know that the holy, the true, the pure, the righteous God created you and I to have life. And He desires for us to have life through His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and He wants us to experience forgiveness and love and reconciliation through Him. If you need prayers this morning as we think about this responsibility we have to reflect God's glory in this world because we still have that responsibility. The way we do that today is by being made to be like Christ and to live in submission unto to His will. And, and as Peter says, fashion yourselves not according to your former ignorance and your lust, but according to God's holiness. Be holy as God is holy. That's what God wants from us. But we fall and we need help. And if you need help this morning, we're here. We're, we're ready to uh, pray with you and to walk with you and to do whatever we can do uh, in our strength to help. Um, but most importantly, God stands ready to reconcile and to bring back and to restore and to forgive. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, that's the first step. Receiving Christ, being baptized into Him, washing away your sins, and being made part of the family of God. And so if you need prayers or if you would like to be uh, added to the kingdom and, and enter into the kingdom of God, we stand ready to help and assist you in either of those things. If you'll please come forward as we stand and as we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.